Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, where we are changing the way parents talk to their kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe in our rapidly changing world. You are your kid's best source of information and primary example. In these thought-provoking conversations, Robin and her guests seek to improve your relationship skills, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Now, here's your host, Robin LaCrosse. Hey everyone, welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. This is your host, Robin LaCrosse. I am so excited to have Susan Weed back on the show today, and we are going to continue talking about menstruation, moon lodges, and menstrual health. So Susan is a green witch and wise woman. She is an extraordinary healer with a joyous spirit, a powerful presence, and an encyclopedic knowledge of herbs and health. She is the voice of the Wise Woman Way, where common weeds, simple ceremony, and compassionate listening support and nourish health, wholeness, and holiness. She has opened hearts to the magic and medicine of the green nations for five decades. Susan's five herbal medicine books focus on women's health topics, including menopause, childbearing, and breast health. Susan's newest book, Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, is already being hailed as a landmark, critically needed, and timely. It redefines patient-centered care. Hey, Susan, I'm so glad to have you back on the show. Robin, it's always such an honor and privilege to assist you and to be with you because I stand so strongly for the work that you're doing, empowerment for women of all ages, but especially for girls. Yes, one of my favorite topics is talking about the female body, and we're going to talk about menstruation today. And Susan, I know that you have been doing a moon lodge forever, and I would love to know, like, a little bit about, like, what was your motivation for starting it, and like, what is the, like, what is the purpose? Why, why do you do it? Like, what is the kinds of things that happen there? About oh, thirty-three years ago. I was in a conversation with a group of women, and we were having a conversation, which actually still goes on, um, about how we had saved the earth, how we had to heal the earth, how things were not good, and we had been, you know, rude to the earth, and we had to do something about it. And one of the women in this conversation was Brooke Medicine Eagle. And at one point, I said, Brooke, you haven't said anything. Could you... I want, really want to hear your voice. And she said, well, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking that the white ego is really amazing. And I said, what? And she said, you think you can heal the earth? You think you can save the earth? Really? Really? What a white ego thing to think, you know? And um, we were just, you know, our jaws dropped. We had never considered that, that this was anything other than our given task. And what was she talking about? And she said, you know, the earth has been here for billions of years. And we're really, you know, like a second in the, in the life of the earth. And whether we're here or not is pretty immaterial to the earth. She said, now we could save ourselves and we could heal ourselves, but we cannot save or heal the earth. And as she talked about this, some of my Buddhist teaching came up into my head, which is about right relationship. Mm-hmm. If you're in a hospital and I hope you don't have to be there, and you're in the hospital bed, and I hope you don't have to be there, and a doctor comes in, do you leap up, take the coat and the stethoscope off the doctor, shove the doctor in bed, and say, I'll heal you? 
Now, that obviously would not be right relationship. The earth is our healer. Right. We are not her healer. The earth saves us. We do not save her. And, you know, we were partly really just flabbergasted by this, but we were also a little grumpy because how dare she take our work away from us. And right. so I said to her, well, then what are we supposed to do? She said, you could nourish the earth. And, of course, these are words that really strike to my heart because that's part of my life work is to have people understand that healing is very much nourishment. And we, of course, all said to her, okay, how do we nourish the earth? She said, what nourishes the earth is menstrual blood. Mm-hmm. So, so we said to Brooke, menstrual blood is what nourishes the earth? She said, yes, it's your menstrual blood that nourishes the earth. Now, one of my personal stories and my history, of course, was that I was brought up in the scientific tradition. I was taken to a doctor. The doctor examined me, said she's in perfect health. Um, and so I knew that I had nothing to do with my health. It all had to do with the doctor. And then proceeded to give me a shot. So I understood that to stay in health, you needed drugs. Mm-hmm. And those are two lessons that we all learn. And many people continue them throughout their lives. Yes. However, it didn't, didn't really work out for me. Um, and I ran into a, a series of obstacles that led me to understand that drugs weren't actually making me healthier. And this pushed me into alternative medicine, which I call the heroic tradition. And uh, in the heroic tradition, we want to cleanse and balance. Those are our big active words there. And moving through the heroic tradition, um, I was able to come to the wise woman tradition, to the nourishing. But in the heroic tradition, I was told, and women are still told, that menstruation is toxic filth. And that really clean women don't menstruate. It's true enough. If you eat a raw food diet or a really severe vegan diet, uh, you will lose so much life force energy, you won't be able to menstruate. In other words, you will not be fertile anymore. And about a third of women who lose their menses due to these very poor dietary choices, in fact, never become fertile again. So it's dietary, poor dietary choices with intense consequences. Um, in fact, uh, um, some years ago, there was a book on naturopathic medicine and herbalism uh, by two naturopathic, male naturopathic doctors, and I got it, and I looked up menstrual problems, and it literally says there's no such thing as a menstrual problem because menses is simply a sign that the woman is filled with toxic filth. That's just so awful. That's so wrong. The, it's so <laughs> wrong. When you remove this toxic filth, she'll no longer menstruate. Yeah. It's like, whoa, wait a second. So, you know, being a kind of uh, out front, uh, in your face kind of girl, I went up to a fairly high place. I live in a mountainous region. So I went up, I mean, it's not the Rocky Mountains, it's Catskills. So I went up, you know, 3,000 feet, 3,200 feet, and up on this cliff. And I said, all right, powers that be, if the menstrual blood, which after all is the blood I'm going to make a baby out of, if this is really toxic waste, strike me dead right now because I don't want to play. As you can see, they didn't strike me dead. So I figured that was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I began to really look, and there are actually scientific studies uh, of menstrual blood, and menstrual blood is, in fact, the richest blood that a woman can make in any given month. There'll be more iron, more calcium, more minerals, more vitamins in the menstrual blood than in the, than in the circulating blood in the woman's body, because uh, far from being a toxic waste, um, that blood is the lifeblood of the woman. Now, yeah. there are chemicals that are released through ovulation. And those chemicals are also released through ejaculation. 
And those chemicals are also released through lactation. In fact, Inuit women in the far north, it's no longer safe for them to breastfeed because so many organic pollutants have concentrated into the fat tissues of the animals that they eat, that their breast milk has so much of this that it's not safe for their children. So we can ovulate these chemicals out. We can ejaculate them out. And if you've been looking for a reason to not swallow, you got one. Sorry, I'm on an organic diet. No, that's, that stuff's loaded with chemicals. Not doing it. Um, and, you know, lactation. However, you know, many of us don't ejaculate at all because we're women. And perhaps we're old enough not to um, ovulate anymore. And maybe we'd have chosen not to have children, so we're not lactating. Um, but this, this kind of is a sad thing. And so the fourth and final way to clear these chemicals from your body is not by sweating. It's by crying. Mm-hmm. Sweat, of course, does not contain any toxins of any kind. It contains your bones. That's why your dog licks you after a run, because you're salty. Right. Mm-hmm. salts from your bones, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, these were thoughts that are going through my mind as Brooke Medicine Eagle was talking to us about this. And uh, she set me on this path of really honoring my moon blood and uh, finding ways to be more in touch with that. And one of the things she suggested to us was that we have moon lodges, and that was her, her term. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, um, this is the traditional sacred way that women come together. Now, about 20 years ago, I was teaching in Boulder, Colorado, and um, good friends with a Sufi master, and he was walking me home and been teaching, and I was staying at Brigitte Mar's house about four or five blocks away. So there we are in the streets of Boulder, you know, it's, it's a regular town. There's like cars and motorcycles and traffic lights. And we're next to this vacant lot, you know, with trash and used condoms and all this stuff. And uh, Paul turns to me and says, white buffalo calf woman has a message for you. That you think, no, excuse me, right? I should like be dressed in ritual clothing and out in the woods. We're not like next to a vacant lot. Come on with motorcycles right. going down the road. Like <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> how inappropriate. And I said, why doesn't white buffalo calf woman tell me yourself? And Paul said, well, she's been trying to, but you're just so busy. You're not paying any attention to her. Oh. You're not, oh, oh, the embarrassment. Right? So he takes this poem out of his pocket. And he says, this is what white buffalo calf woman wants you to know. Mm-hmm. And the essence of the poem, the basic message of the poem was, I want you to tell my story, Susan. Well, no, I had kind of heard the story of white buffalo calf woman, but it didn't strike me as anything really important. Mm-hmm. I'm a peace elder. Uh, Grandmother Twyla Nitch created a group of people called Peace Elders, and mm-hmm. there were Peace Elder gatherings. And that year, there was a Peace Elder gathering in Holland, and uh, Grandmother Two Worlds was there. And after we'd been there a day, I said to Grandmother, well, they have Sweat Lodge, but they don't have Moon Lodge, do they? Once again, the men get their thing, but the women don't get their thing. And Grandmother Two Worlds said, you're so right, I'm going to remedy that. And so the very next day, she had a special place set up for women to gather. Mm-hmm. And we went in there and she said, I want to tell you the story of White Buffalo Calf Woman. I thought, aha, aha, okay, so let me hear it from Grandmother Two Worlds. And you know how a story is, like you hear it and you hear it on one level. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody like kind of pulls the story apart, you suddenly realize that you're not really listening mm-hmm. to what's going on. So mm-hmm. you may remember this story. The story takes place. There's a great drought on the Great Plains and all of the grasses have dried up. And this means that the lifeblood of the people, the bison, are not around and the people are starving to death. And every day, runners go out looking, looking for the bison herds. And the day that this story takes place, two young men, not too young, 
have gone out and they're very fast runners and they run faster and further than anybody has yet gone out to look for those, that buffalo herd. And they see a little cloud of dust on the horizon. You know how it is when you see that cloud of dust on the horizon. You can't really tell if it's a big thing far away or a smaller thing nearby. But they're watching and they're watching. And soon enough it resolves. And it's a woman who isn't wearing any clothes at all. Now, right away, you see, you made an interesting face. And if you, you know, sense what's going on in yourself, you're saying, isn't that odd? This is not like normal behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? Women don't walk across the plains with no clothes on. And so we might ask ourselves, under what circumstances might a woman not be dressed? Well, it could be that someone has taken her clothes from her. But if it's mm-hmm. volitional, it could be the age-old desire not to stain your clothing with menstrual blood. Mm-hmm. And most women in most cultures throughout history have had one or two garments. Not the endless, and I, you know, absolutely I am one of the ones, you know, I have at least 100 T-shirts, without a doubt, you know, I see mm-hmm. a nice T-shirt, I'm going to buy it. I, I can hardly imagine what it would be to have a Sunday dress and my workday dress. Right. But that is what most women have had. So let's imagine, as the story starts, that she is not wearing her dress because she doesn't want to get menstrual blood on it. And then we'll right. see if we've made you know, a, a right guess or a wrong guess. Mm-hmm. So the two young men, seeing this naked women, come down off the little knoller on and run toward her. And one of the young men reaches out to grab her. And he becomes a pile of bones lying in the plains. Mm-hmm. Now, many Native people believe that menstrual blood is so powerful that it can turn a man into a pile of bones. Yes. So we, we are probably right that this woman is menstruating. His companion, being far wiser, puts his eyes on the ground, doesn't look at the woman and says, uh, can I help you? And she says, yes, go back to your people and tell them I will be there in four days and I have gifts for them and an important message. How long do most women menstruate for? Four or five days. Yeah. Four or five days. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So we're mm-hmm. building up a body of evidence here. This mm-hmm. is a menstruating woman. She's turned this man who reached out for her and shouldn't have to a pile of bones and when she's done menstruating, she's going to be at the village. Yeah. Okay. And so, again, these are, these are points that without a woman to guide us into seeing these, we wouldn't really think about them. Sure, right. So that time passes. The people of the village are trying to, you know, get together something, and they have virtually nothing, and she does indeed arrive. And now she is wearing a beautiful white dress. And, of course, we all know, well, you really don't want to get Mr. Blood in your white dress, right? That's right. And uh, so they, you know, feed her what they have to feed her, and they, you know, dance for her and sing for her. The day comes into night, and they light the fires, and the children go to sleep, and the lovers go off, and, you know, it's the the adults who are left by the fire. And um, she says to them, um, my name is White Buffalo Calf Woman, and I come to tell you that you're starving to death because you no longer honor the women. And this is very much historically true of the people of the plains. They were very, very vicious to their women. They would sell their girl children into sexual slavery from the age of six on. They would gamble their wives away. They would make their wives walk first in the tall grass. So if there was an enemy, the wife would get killed. Not nice things. And um, they're certainly very different than the great peaceful nations and remnant of the Twilas of the Seneca Nation, part of the great peaceful nations, in which women and children come first. 
So uh, she says, you, you know, you're just not taking care of your women and children, and so the earth isn't going to feed you because the earth is your mother, and you're not mm-hmm. taking care of the mothers. So here's what, I, what I'm going to do. I brought you some gifts. And the first gift is the gift of the Lodge of the Stone People. And when the moon is new, when the moon is dark, men, you are to create a lodge which you have to crawl into on your hands and knees. And that lodge is the womb of your earth mother. And you must crawl back into the womb of the earth mother. And you will have heated stones and you will bring those stones into that lodge with you. And these stones will make you sweat as your mother sweated giving birth to you. And this should cause you to remember and honor the mother. And each one of you was born of a woman. There is no other way to be on this planet except to be born of a woman. And when you are not in the Moon Lodge, which will only be this once a month, um, I give you a gift that you may use every day. And this is the gift of a pipe. This pipe comes in two pieces, and the two pieces should be kept separately. There is the stem, and the stem is your energy, men. It is uh, long, it is narrow, and it is hollow inside, but it allows you to draw the breath through the pipe bowl. And the pipe bowl, to this day, is made from a special material called pipe stone, which is found in only one place in the world, And the lore is that this pipestone, which is red, is the menstrual blood of the Mother Earth. So here is your bowl, which represents the woman who contains things and gives birth to things. And here you are, men. You are the stem of this, which draws the air through and kindles that fire. And you two work together to do this. But you must understand that the bowl is where it happens. Right? And you keep them apart and you put them together only when you smoke and you smoke when the sun comes up and you smoke when the sun goes down. These two times and then, of course, at other times in ritual or when, when it's important to you. So uh, having given her gifts and having given her message, as the fires begin to flicker and die out, white buffalo calf woman walks away. And at first you see her in her white dress and as she moves further away, her dress appears to be yellow. And as she moves yet further away, her dress appears to be red. And as she moves into the deep of the night, her dress becomes black. So we have the four colors of the four peoples of the planet and the four colors that buffalo may appear in. And it's white buffalo calf because there are no adult white buffalo. They may be born white, but they turn yellow and then red and then black. So then I realized why white buffalo calf women came to me through Paul and said, you must tell my story. You must remind women that the sweat lodge is not for women. The sweat lodge is a fake moon lodge. It's a place set up for men that they remember that they were born from a woman. You, me, as women, we have moon lodge. And the only rule of the moon lodge is if you want to participate in the moon lodge, you must have XX in every cell. When the ovum from your mother is fertilized by the sperm from your dad. That ovum carries an X chromosome. And the sperm can carry an X chromosome, in which case every cell in your body has X, X in it, and you're a woman. Or dad's sperm may have a Y in it, in which case every cell in your body has X, Y, and you're a man. Now, I'm absolutely happy however you would like to present yourself to me. If you have X, Y in your cells, and you would like to dress up in high heels and curl your hair and put on lipstick and tell me, 
that you're a woman, I'm certainly willing to accept that. But that doesn't mean that you can come to my moon lodge because you don't have XX in every cell. Because that's the criteria for being in the moon lodge is you must have XX. If you would like to be a purple, uh, green polka dotted giraffe, that's absolutely fine too. And if you have XX in your cells, you can come to my moon lodge as a, as a purple, green polka dotted giraffe. All right? I do, don't really care how you present yourself to me. I'm very, very open. We can all choose however we want to present ourselves. But you can never change what's in every cell of your body. Mm-hmm. It's not feminine or masculine. It's female or male. Feminine and masculine are social constructs. And what it is to be feminine and masculine varies from time to time and culture to culture. Do you know 100 years ago in the United States, baby boys routinely dress in pink because red is the color of war and pink is for a baby boy so that he'll learn to be warlike. And girls were dressed in blue because it's a calming color. And girls need to be the peacemakers, so they were dressed in blue just 100 years ago. Interesting how things yeah. have changed. Feminine and masculine are cultural concepts. Mm-hmm. And they are therefore very plastic and very flexible. And it, it's well for all of us to allow that flexibility to at least enjoy it and perhaps even revel in that flexibility. But that does not change the rule of the moon lodge, which is XX in every cell. Mm-hmm. You want to tell me? To call you this, that, or the other thing, I'll call you this, that, or the other thing. Happy to do it. But you want to come to my moon lodge, you're going to have XX in every cell. It doesn't matter how old you are, because that's the second rule of the moon lodge. And that is that every XX being, every woman, let's call her what she is, a woman, of any age is welcome in the moon lodge. About, oh, 10 years ago, I went to a moon lodge at a conference I was at. And there were several disturbing things about that moon lodge to me. First of all, it was being used as a vendor's tent, and they were selling menstrual products. And I thought, mm. ooh, Moon Lodge is not a place to sell your products. No. And secondly, they said to me, oh, you're a crone. You can't come to the Moon Lodge. I'm like, excuse me. Well, the Moon Lodge is for women who bleed. I said, no, it's not. A Moon Lodge is a place for all women. And she said, no, there's a purple tent. This is the red tent. And Anita Diamant wrote a wonderful book called The Red Tent, in which she envisions in biblical times that women had a Moon Lodge called a red tent. Mm-hmm. Now, Anita has said over and over again, I made it up, I made it up, I made it up. But we don't care. The fact that she made it up doesn't mean we can't take that term and run with it. And there are certain villages in Africa still who have a moon village. And at the dark of the moon, every woman from the village goes to the moon village and they live together there for a week. Mm-hmm. Imagine how different your life would be if you had a week out of every month where it was just you and all the other women of your village. I said, really, would you really want to have a moon lodge only with menstruating women? You know, they can be kind of cranky. Yeah. Does not sound like fun at all to me. And besides, who's going to make the fire and keep them warm? And who's going to pick the herbs and make the teas for them? And who's going to counsel them about being pregnant again when they don't want to or not being pregnant when they want to or any of the other things that come up in a woman's life? So you need the crones there Mm -hmm. to counsel. And you need the women who are before their menstrual years, to fetch the water and fetch the firewood and fetch the herb. You need all ages of women there working together. And so it is at a moon lodge or a red tent. Mm-hmm. And again, we are not, this, the whole idea of the moon lodge is that women listen to each other. Now, yeah. I, I have been, as I said, running moon lodges for over 30 years. And one of the early moon lodges, I live in the Catskills, and we have thunderstorms. And we were outside, it was a beautiful evening, and suddenly rumble, rumble, the grum, grum, flash, flash. And we're like, uh-oh, and then boom, the rain comes down and it pours down. And it's, 
a thunderstorm like that. And we went running for the nearest building we could go in. And Wanche, the midwife, beat it, us to it. And she's standing at the door and she says, you have to go in and age order oldest first. And we got ourselves an age order so fast, so fast. <laughs> boom. And so now we do that at every moon lodge. We sit in age order. And mm -hmm. I have women center in to where they are. And then to turn their head to the left and open their eyes and look around the circle at the younger and younger women. Mm -hmm. And then I say the name of the youngest woman. I say she's not the youngest woman alive. Let's envision the younger women spiraling inside us. All right. The women, perhaps the, the youngest woman is in her teens, you know, the women in their early teens, the women in their preteens, the women of the single digits, right? The little girls, the babies who were just born, the babies still in their mother's womb, the babies who are um, just being created today, the babies who are still follicles, right? Seven generations within that we hold within our pot here. And now come back to yourself and close your eyes. And now before you open your eyes, turn your head to the right and look around the circle to the older and older women. And I'm often the oldest woman. And I say, I, I am not the oldest woman, of course, alive. And so let's imagine these women circling around us, those in their late 70s and their 80s, right? And the 90s and the mothers and the grandmothers and the great-grandmothers, seven generations, all the way to the ancient ones and the ancestors. And I said, and understand that you are walking that path and that every day and every step and every breath takes you closer and closer to being a grandmother, a great-grandmother, right? an ancient one, indeed, and that others will be following your footsteps. And then we come back to our meditation. And I ask them to look forward and down and to just barely open their eyes so they have a soft focus. And they can see like the whole circle. And I said, notice that if you weren't sitting where you're sitting, there would be a gap in our circle. Every age of woman is important in our circle. Yes. And then we pass the talking stick, which is my gift from Grandmother Twyla. And of course, if a Native American gives you a gift, it's a job as well as a gift. So my gift is talking stick, and my job is to engage in talking stick every single day of my life. And the only rule of talking stick is when you have the talking stick, you're allowed to talk and no one else is. And uh, at Moon Lodge, we can talk about anything. Sometimes women talk to us about their lives. Sometimes women tell stories. Sometimes women sing songs. And so the talking stick is passed all the way around the circle from the oldest to the youngest, and we sing wonderful, wonderful songs, a song from the, the Seneca tradition, Nisa, Nisa, Nisa. Nisa means moon, mm -hmm. right? And a song from Brook Medicine Eagle, Give away my blood of life to all my relations and open my womb with delight. Right, and songs from Marie, Marie Summerwood, in the heart of my womb lies my power. So we sing and we dance. We sit down in age order. We pass the talking stick. And then we sing some more. And we get up and we leave our moon lodge for the month. A little advice. If you decide to have a moon lodge, and I hope you do, don't ask people when they want to come. Tell them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do not... Do your moon lodge along with the moon. Because the moon is dissynchronous with our calendar. Mm -hmm. Women, every woman in the world has far too many things to do. It's not just you. It's every woman. Every woman has way too many things to do. And I say, you know, if you have a moon lodge for every woman who's there, there are 10 women who want to be there. 
And if you have that moon lodge consistently at the same time and the same place, those women will get there because they will be able to. But if you have the moon lodge when the moon is dark or the moon is this or that, nobody will be able to come because they won't be able to get their life open enough to do that because it will always be shifting around. So don't do it according to the moon. Should it happen on a full moon or a new moon or a quarter moon, celebrate that. But don't be that the reason for it. I've been in moon lodges, which is a closet with red velvet stapled all over it. And that's that woman's moon lodge. And she has moon lodge with herself, she says, and the other 10 women who want to be here who haven't gotten here. And the grandmothers. What a wonderful thing. Yeah, I really love having the whole age range present because you're right. There's so much wisdom from our grandmothers, you know, and I'm really big on sharing wisdom. You know, it's really why how I got started was, you know, just the realization like, wow, my body's doing all this cool stuff. And if my mom had known this stuff to teach me, like how could my life have been different? You know, what if every young woman grows up knowing and understanding this information about her body and cycle. And so I really love that you, well, all that you've shared, that you've shared here and, you know, just some really great stuff. And uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Okay. And when we come back, I want to talk about like passing the wisdom down, like how we can share information about herbs to, you know, make our menstruation smoother, um, you know, more harmonious, and maybe address some of the problems that come up with menstruation. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you don't want to be pregnant, one of the most nerve-wracking experiences is a late period. Lying in bed, wondering, worrying, waiting for menstruation to arrive, praying that your period will come. It's very stressful. Even though many of us are taught about menstruation, most of us don't have a deep understanding of how it works or what the body is doing. This results in increased stress, decreased sexual desire, sleepless nights, and sometimes unwanted pregnancy. What would it be like if every young woman grew up understanding her body to this degree? It could change the world. It could eliminate unintended pregnancy. It could help girls feel excited about and empowered by their monthly flow rather than ashamed and embarrassed. Since most of us don't get this kind of education while growing up, I put together a special free training called Understanding the Female Body and Cycle. Just go to HolisticSexEdRadio.com to get access today. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? 
Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. Hey, everyone. We're back. So, Susan, I would just really love to hear your thoughts around, like, addressing, like, menstrual, I hesitate to word, use the word problems, but for lack of a better term, coming to my mind at the moment. But, you know, like, young girls, they start menstruating. A lot of times menstruation can be very painful or, you know, unpredictable. You know, then as we get older, sometimes we have problems like with cysts or endometriosis or like just some really challenging type of issues. And I know that you have a huge amount of wisdom around these issues. And so I just love to kind of pick your brain and see what you have to share with our listeners about how we can, you know, make our menstruation a more pleasant experience for those of us who are struggling with that. One day I found myself driving to Boston to present at a conference on PMS. And as I'm driving, my inner talk is, what are you doing? You don't even believe in PMS. Why are you doing this? Why don't you just turn around and go home? But of course I'd agreed to do it. And I'm a very responsible person. So I continued on and there were, oh gosh, several hundred doctors and nurses there. And I'm like thinking, you know, what are you really, what are you going to say to them? Well, lucky for me, the woman who actually created the term PMS and wrote the first book on it was there. And she, she talked first. And she got up in front of all these doctors and nurses, looked around, gave, flashed them a big smile, and she said, we've all gathered today to talk about something that doesn't exist. Oh, yes. <laughs> and she talked about how women would come to her and say, I'm having this difficulty. I'm having this pain. I'm having this stress around my menstruation. And how the male doctors... We're just putting them off and saying it's in your mind or yeah. giving them, you know, psychiatric drugs, you know, birth control pills and- or birth control pills or just, you know, like really kind of trying to drug it out of them. She said, so I realized that I had to like take a stand for women and the, re- the reality of women's life, which is that menstruation is not always a piece of cake. It's not always just, wow, I'm menstruating. Let's, life just goes on. Right. Um, and so she made up the term premenstrual syndrome. And um, a couple of years after that, somebody suggested that PMS really stands for patriarchal mindset. Mm-hmm. And so here we have the first big way to help yourself. You are not supposed to be out in public when you're menstruating. Hello? Right. Moonlight. You're supposed to be in your menstrual village. You're supposed to be in moonlight. You're supposed to be with other women. You are not supposed to be out there wearing your white pants and pretending it's not happening. Right. But that's what our culture teaches us is, yeah. oh, no, you don't really menstruate. It just happens. But we're going to ignore it. We're going to yeah. like hide well, it, hey, treat it like it's dirty. Mm-hmm. We're going to not just treat it like it's dirty. We're going to treat it like it doesn't exist. Yeah. You're going to a- act like you're not actually men. You're not going to take any time off. You're not going to treat yourself nicely. And then about five years later, I met with some teenage girls, and they said, oh, PMS, that means pamper me silly. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll, you know, tell each other, okay, PMS time. And the, uh, in, in their group, that means bring her chocolate, be nice to her, stroke her, don't demand that she act normal. And I thought, yes, because that's a moon lodge too, you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a place. It doesn't have to be a time. It doesn't have to have songs and dances and a talking stick. PMS, pamper me silly. Give me the time and the space to actually menstruate. And women who do take time, 
um, at the Wise Women's Center, I pay apprentices $25 to take a day off while they're menstruating, which they have no responsibilities except for themselves. Nice. Because I really want to impress on them that this is what menstruation is about. Mm-hmm. It's not about pretense. It's about being with yourself. And it may hurt. You know what? Life hurts. Life does indeed hurt. Being embodied hurts, but it doesn't mean that we have to suffer. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an actual choice. And yes, especially in the transitional years, both in the menarche and the menopause years, menstruation will be erratic and it will be more painful. And I remember those horrible menstrual cramps that I had in the first year when I was menstruating. And they would bring me to tears. They were so bad. But fortunately, there weren't any birth control pills then. Yeah, right. So I just, you know, got through it. How did they get through it? I got through it by withdrawing, mm-hmm. which is what my body wanted me to do. Yep. And I would say, I don't want to go to school today. Mm-hmm. And my mom would say, fine. And that's what my body wanted me to do. That's what it was cueing me in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, there's going to be some pain here. So you'll withdraw. So you'll take some time. So you'll be in this evocative dream space. Now, my first menses, I remember very, very vividly because I started bleeding the day before my brother's birthday. Mm-hmm. We were in Dallas, Texas, and my brother was born in early September, September 2nd. So I started bleeding on September 1st. And he was having a swimming party. It's so hot enough in Dallas to have a swimming party. So my mom comes into my room and she says, what, you're not even dressed? We have to get ready for your, your brother's birthday party. We're leaving in like 10 minutes. Get dressed. And I said, I can't go. She says, why not? I say, you know. Mm-hmm. It's one of those weird, you know, mother, teenage daughter routines, right? And she says, right, right. I don't know. And I say, yes, you do. You know I can't go. She says, what do you mean you can't go? I said, you know. Yes, mm-hmm, <laughs> endless round. I'm not going to say I'm menstruating, right? Right. Right. She gave me the book, but it's not like we really talked about it. Right. So finally, finally, I said, you know, I can't go in the swimming pool. She's like, aha, aha, I have figured out what's going on here. So she goes away and I think, yes, okay, she figured it out. And she comes back with it looks like a piece of candy, right? It's about maybe two inches long. It's wrapped up in blue cellophane. And she says, take the cellophane off, put that in there, and then get ready to go to the swimming party. So from the very first day of my menstruation, I was introduced to tampons. They were easy. They made it like I wasn't menstruating, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then many decades after that, I was with a group of women in California, and we were stopping at a big California um, store, um, supermarket, and I said, "I, I can't tolerate all the alcohol and all the stuff that goes on in here. California supermarkets, I'm going to stay in the house. Stay in the car here while you do that. You're shopping. So they came back out, and they had menstrual products in the bag. I said, what, you're giving your blood money to the man? Come on. There's a great poem by Ellen Bass called Tampon. I don't mm-hmm. have it by heart, but I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. And it says, what if every, you know, when I was young, I used a tampon because then I could pretend I wasn't really menstruating. Mm-hmm. And it took all of my effort to use it. But then I got so good, I could switch my tampon in a convertible one-handed in a white dress. She said, but what if we didn't do that anymore? What if we just let it flow? What if every woman in the world let her menstrual blood flow? Well, we'd need an army of cleaning women to mop up the blood, but they're going to be letting their blood flow too. And so even as they mop up the blood, there'll be more blood. Soon, rugs, 
and plush furniture will go right out of style because it's so hard to clean. And she continues on in the poem of what would happen if every woman let her blood flow. So I said to these women, oh, 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 you know, giving your, your blood money to the man by buying all these products. At that point, I was part of a small group of women who were searching for um, other ways to deal with uh, keeping your menstrual flow off your white dress without mm-hmm. giving your blood money to the man. Mm-hmm. And we had found a variety of things. Um, I will tell you, moss does not work in modern day life. Moss is very nice. If you pick up your skirt and you sit on the moss out in the woods, I highly recommend it. But stuffing moss in your underwear is just going to make you feel very embarrassed in the supermarket as it rips out. Right? And we tried a variety of things. And uh, finally, we ended up with sea sponges, and we started the whole menstrual sponge movement, which mm-hmm. I'm glad to see is still going strong mm-hmm. and very, very safe. And, uh, but these women said to me, well, you know, we don't put anything inside us. We let our blood flow out. And I said, well, again, I put something inside you, catch it on the outside. It's no different. They said, you're wrong, Susan. You're very wrong. It's very different. I said, really? Because, because I had no experience with that, literally no experience with that. Right. And so I promised them that when I wasn't on the road and I wasn't teaching and I could you know, be by myself, that I would let my blood flow and see what that was like. Mm-hmm. And so that time came. It was a December day. And I started bleeding. And I reached for my sponge. And I said, no, you can let it flow, Susan. And the first thing I learned was that my uterus is not a faucet that gets turned on and the blood comes flowing out. My uterus is a muscle. Mm-hmm. And the endometrium is the lining of that muscle and that muscle contracts. And as it contracts, some blood flows out. And that if I actually was acknowledging that I was menstruating, I could feel that happening and I could go and sit on the toilet and that blood would come out in the toilet. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to have something 24 hours a day there. Now, I will also say that I'm, you know, I don't like to give a lot of blood ever. So I'm not one of those. I lived with a woman who used two tampons and two Kotex and still left a trail of blood on the way to the bathroom. Right. Right. Not me. Okay. So it was really easy after a day or two to get into the synchronicity of my body and my uterus actually contracting, which I hadn't, which I'd known intellectually, but hadn't felt in my body. Mm -hmm. Alan Watts was at Bard College, and he was talking about trees, and I went over to hear him talking about trees. And uh, as usual, I sat in the front row. I like to get up close to things, very nearsighted. Well, as the evening went on, and I was an innocuous person talking about an innocuous topic, I felt less and less at ease, until finally, as he was giving his closing remarks, I just bolted out of the room, which is so unlike me, and got in my car, drove home, opened the door, and the walls were talking to me, and the floor was talking to me. And everything was talking to me. And I thought, my God, am I losing it? And then I realized, no, Susan, this is the power of menstruation. This is what happens when you actually acknowledge you are menstruating, is the voices that are everywhere become audible to you. You actually become wise by menstruating. And you're talking about the wisdom of these older women. They get this wisdom by menstruating. And, of course, by living, but by listening in to what's happening. So um, I soon learned that it was far better for me to stay home and not go out to public events Mm -hmm. so that I could really listen to my body and listen to all the information that I was getting. Well, winter turned to spring. Classes started again. And I was really enjoying letting it flow. And so I was letting it flow when there was a class. And we were talking about comfrey. And suddenly I got that feeling I'd gotten at Alan Watts' lecture, which is, I can't tolerate this. I can't be in this group of people and be bleeding. And I said to one of the apprentices, please continue to talk about comfrey. 
um, I had something I had to do in the house, and I'll be right back. And I went in the house. I got my sponge. I put my sponge up in my vagina. I came back out, and it was fine. It's like I wasn't menstruating, and I could be okay. All those voices turned off. All that wisdom turned off. Hmm. So, time by yourself. Let it flow. Are there herbs that can ease simple menstrual pain? Of course. Plants in the mint family do a really good job, like catnip. Mm-hmm. Or even peppermint. They're mm-hmm. directly counter any cramping that occurs in that uterine muscle as it contracts. Ginger, of course, is very well known. I had an apprentice who really liked catnip, and it grows wild here. And so she'd make a cup of fresh catnip tea each time she started menstruating. It really helped to ease things and had, give her less pain. And then she was going off to a big music festival, and she thought, well, I don't know if I'll be able to find catnip, but I know I'm going to be menstruating while I'm there. And so she decided to experiment and she dried some catnip and rolled it up in a paper and smoked it. And she found that just inhaling once or twice would give her the same pain relief. Hmm. So she volunteered at the music festival in the healing tent and she took a hundred catnip joints with her and she gave them out to the first hundred women who came in the tent complaining of menstrual pain. And she said 99 of them said that within one or two inhales, their pain was eased or completely gone. Hmm. So that's pretty easy thing to do ally with catnip or even smoke catnip it smells really rank it smells like really cheap cannabis so don't, <laughs> you know, don't like do it in public and expect people to like enjoy you again this is you know taking some time to yourself Etta came to apprentice with me and she had a, a very difficult story uh, culminating in her deciding to have her ovaries removed and uh, not unusually at, with her ovaries gone her menstrual pain increased Mm-hmm. And by the time she was apprenticing with me, her menses was taking a week out of her life, seven to 10 days every month of intense pain, uh, migraine headaches, throwing up. The only way she could get through it was to be by herself in the dark. And I said, well, this is, this is actually what your body wants, you know, but it's really having to torture you to get this. And uh, she allied, each apprentice is asked to ally with one plant of their choice while they're here. And she mm-hmm. allied with an interesting plant called botanical name, Senecio aureus. I first met this plant in less than ideal circumstances. I was teaching a class on menstruation and we were at the top of this lovely tower, a group of women, and suddenly the doors flung open. A man strides into the room, throws Senecio aureo in our midst and says, here's some rag wart for when you're on the rag, har, 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 and leaves the room. And we just like threw the plant at the door, you know, we were so upset with him. And so that was my introduction to golden ragwort, mm-hmm. known by native women as life root, mm-hmm. because it really changes how your uterus contracts. And if you're hung up in birth, life root um, can get you going and get that baby out. Uh, I don't use the root of it. I use the flowering top of it. And uh, Edda, who had not had any sexual desire for over 10 years because of her intense menstruation, not only found that the Senecio aureus, small doses, three to five drops, taken between ovulation and menstruation, so just the luteal phase of menstruation, um, not only uh, cut back on her menstrual pain, cut back on her menstrual pain, but by the time she left her apprenticeship and she stayed for seven months, she had three lovers in town. <laughs> so she was really enjoying that. My, yes. my sister's wife, Shakti, um, also had, Pretty bad menstrual pain, not as bad as Etta's, but bad enough to really totally take her out of circulation. 
And I talked to her about Sinichio aureus, and it was in May when it blooms, and she made her own tincture. So after six weeks was up and that tincture was ready from the fresh flowering tops with the stalks and the leaves, she started taking it. And about three months later, I walk in the house, and Shakti's in the kitchen stirring something. She says, hey, Susan, I'm menstruating. And I say, oh, good, and go about what I'm doing. And she comes and grabs me, and she says, Susan, I'm menstruating. I said, that's great, Shakti. I'm so glad you're menstruating. She said, you don't understand, Susan. This is the first time I've been standing on my feet and saying I'm menstruating in more years than I can count. Thank you, Sinichio Aureus. Mm-hmm. Small doses, three to five drops, luteal phase from ovulation until menstruation. Sometimes it can make it a little worse in the first month or two. That's okay. Right? But eventually it is going to bring down that level of pain. But you're going to have to help there. You're going to have to give yourself some alone time so your body doesn't have to torture you into it. And you're going to have to think about what's the difference between stuffing something up there and letting it flow. I understand we all have active, busy lives. We have demands on us. I'm not mm-hmm. saying never use something that makes it easier for you in the world. But can you give yourself any flow time? Can you arrange that at any point at all? Can you pamper yourself silly or get somebody else to pamper you silly? Mm-hmm. What can you really do to show yourself that you're loving and honoring mm-hmm. the instruction? Yeah, I would always spend my first day of menstruation kind of like in reflection and, you know, just kind of end of old cycle new and beginning of new cycle and really just took it easy on my first day because my first day was always like the worst for the cramps and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it always worked really well for me. And I think it's and that let us not overlook the power of a hot bath. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you yeah. like to put herbs and stuff in your bath? Uh, my plumber likes it. Yeah, right. Because it clogs the drain. <laughs> but no, I don't use herbs in my bath. Um, and nor do I use essential oils. Mm-hmm. Essential oils are incredibly damaging, especially to women. If you've ever had an essential oil and spilled it, you know it'll take the finish right off the table or melt plastic things. Mm-hmm. And every cell in our body is protected by a lipid layer. It's protected by a fat layer. And so essential oils, whether you apply them, ingest them, or even breathe them in, in fact, breathing them in is probably the worst way, um, attack the integrity of every cell in your body. And once they've broken open that lipid layer, they go in and start killing the mitochondria. And the mitochondria are the energy-producing cells in your body. And both male and female have mitochondria from their mother only. Mitochondria are the mother line. Mitochondria are the wisdom. There is what resides in every cell. And essential oils destroy it. Essential oils are not good for people. Essential oils are not good for the planet. For a year, I asked people, how much lavender is in one ounce of lavender essential oil? And the answers varied. The lowest number I got was 1,000 pounds. 1,000 pounds of lavender in one bottle. One of the biggest distributors of essential oils has over and over again paid fines in the millions of dollars for the destruction that they're doing in the Amazon rainforest because they say it's cheaper to destroy the forest to get what we need for essential oils and to pay these fines than it is to do it ecologically. Not good for us, not good in our bath. You know, you want some scented mm-hmm. lavender, buy a lavender plant, put it on the side of your bathtub, run your hands through it, you'll have a beautiful scent of lavender there. And go. not only that, you can reuse it next month. Yes. One of my favorite yeah. conversations is pineapple sage and lemon thyme or or Ooh. also chocolate mint. 
I Ooh. used to have one in one of my gardens. I had th- that combination growing together, and I would just sit there and rub them and just be like, oh, heaven, I guess smells so, so good. So good, so good. <laughs> I actually got turned on to this because in one year, I had three massage therapists whose immune systems were in tatters, and I was trying to figure out, you know, if there was a common link, and it turned out they were all using essential oils. Oh, wow. Essential oils not only really mess up your immune system, but they're more hormonally active than BPA. And we have a, a group of young boys in the United States who have grown breasts using organic lavender oil products. Hmm. Not just the oil, but a product containing it. They're that hormonally active. Let's hmm. not use essential oils. Not good for us. Not good for the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Use them in the, their the natural real, state. The real plants in their natural yes. state. You, I'm sure you've heard of forest bathing in Japan. Forest bathing? Forest bathing, right. And uh, it's actually paid for by the National Health Insurance in Japan. Right? For a variety of problems, you go and walk in the forest. And what they found is that all the plants in the forest are putting out volatile oils, but they're putting them out in very minute concentrations, like a part per million or a part per billion. Mm-hmm. And these are the levels in which our bodies are designed to use these volatiles. Making an essential oil is like setting off an atomic bomb in somebody's body. Yeah, super, super, super concentrated. So you mentioned the immune system, and I know that you have a fabulous free gift for everybody. I do indeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we entered into the COVID days, I wanted people to feel that they were prepared. There are herbs that can help prevent you getting it, and there are certainly herbs that can help should you get it as well. And what's, of course, most effective is if you know about these herbs and have them on hand beforehand. All right, if I have to go down to New York City, and I try not to, um, I'm going to take my mullen with me. I'm going to take my OSHA with me. Right? I'm going to take my elderberry with me. So our free course is Thriving and Surviving the COVID Days. Here are the herbs that can help you. And it's wisewomanschool.com. And I'm sure that um, you'll have a, a link and a little um, – uh, you don't even really need a code because the course is free. Awesome. Yeah, I'll it's definitely put – Everybody all of the time. And maybe when you're at the Wise Woman School, you'll want to play around and enjoy some of the other wonderful video courses that I have there. And also, just a reminder, there's about 350 free YouTubes of me working with the plants and my granddaughter. And you see her from her first steps gathering dandelion until she's uh, you know, in her uh, preteen years. And we're continuing to make videotapes. Oh, my goodness. She's a pre-teenager already? She's 12. Oh, my goodness. That's about as preteen as you get, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, she's the same age as my niece. I didn't realize. Yeah. Wow. God, they grow so fast. Well, indeed, so do we. Yes. <laughs> Time slows down for no one. Well, it's been a real pleasure having with you here today, Susan. Robin, truly, I so support your work in empowering women of all ages and especially empowering girls. Or as somebody said, if we want women to head up the companies, We need to stop telling little girls they're too bossy. We need bossy girls because they'll grow up to be the bosses. Yeah, right. There you go. Uh go. No such Uh thing as a tomboy. Uh Uh-uh. That's an Mm -hmm. active girl. That's a vigorous girl. That's an athletic girl. Let's hear it for the little girls in our lives. Support them. Love them. Show them that being a woman is a powerful thing to be. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. And thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. While these conversations may be difficult at times, the rewards are well worth it. We have the power to change the world by what we teach our kids. Join host Robin LaCrosse next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thought-provoking conversation. Thank you and have a beautiful day.